Physical Comedian's Log, Stardate 41242.4. I don't know what that means, but I'm sure Jimmy will explain it all to us because he knows what the Stardates are all about. Here we are on Re-Engage. Welcome back. We ourselves have had a couple of little weeks off, only to find a, um, a little bit of a political nightmare has emerged right before the four of us have come back together to talk about one of our very favorite episodes in history. We've decided to just go on and talk about the episode. We don't have any new or different insights that you don't have with us. We're all really angry about what the hell's going on. We see that Data has an off switch. Who the fuck knew about that? But there's spiders in there. Don't you put their fingers in there. Martin Luther King Jr. Day is the day that this episode aired. 1988, January 18th, a Monday. This episode, Data Lore. I know all of us have been looking forward to it. Myself, uh, this is the one that has spoken most to my memories. I remember every moment of it, it felt like there were only a couple of things that hit differently uh, because I didn't understand what they meant when I was 12. And uh, <laughs> at this point, I do. Uh, it was directed by a very familiar name, Rob Bowman, and written by Gene, Uncle Gene, and Robert Lewin, with additional story credit to Lewin and Maurice Hurley. And I think we dive in from there. We'll talk about what happened in 1988 and this episode. But first, we need to meet the rest of the panel. How's everybody doing today? We'll start with Kate Yeager. Happy New Hi. Year! Happy New Year to you, too. Uh, for those of you who are listening, it's the the new-ish year for us, so uh, we're excited. Uh, I'm this. Ep- Let me start again. Yeah. Hi, Eric. <laughs> 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 I'm looking forward to this episode. I also have strong memories of this uh, from my childhood, and there were uh, a lot of things uh, that I did catch on to, though, this time um, that I'll be interested to talk about. But it is, I think every actor's just dream to have the ability to play two characters. Uh, I... We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. The, the mechanics of playing the evil twin. We'll dive in. Jimmy, my evil twin. How are you, sir? The Jimmy G. Thank you, sir. I'm doing very well. Excited to talk about data lore, in which we get a double dose of Brent Spiner, which is always a good thing. We get to see the measuring stick of badassery, Worf getting his ass kicked yet again. Because if you can kick Worf's butt... And Uncle Gene writing us, or me, into the wrong side of the Wesley Crusher fan club. Oh! oh. Greg, oh. how are you, sir? Fill us out. What's happening? I'm doing good. I'm very excited to uh, get back together and talk through this episode like all of you. It is one that has been in the brain pan for decades and I was so excited to go back and revisit it. Certainly things uh, were a little bit different and strange, uh, but I'm looking forward to talking about it. Well, I think we're all in agreement. This is one that we've been kind of looking forward to, uh, like like a good football team looking past the Cleveland Browns on the last week of the season. Um, I think we, we jump right in, right? I'm Eric Gratton, your host for the week. We, of course, are four goofball big gen x fans of star trek the next generation we approach it uh largely from our own backgrounds as storytellers and performers ourselves uh, re-watching for the first time or several times since we were kids so 
data and lore, data lore. Let's start with that. It's, it's one word, the title. What is that to you now? Just what does the title poetically, the way they've decided to write it, the it typography? It's the lore of data. I mean, we get to <laughs> yeah. hear, yeah, we get to hear the epic tale of his beginnings, and uh, and we are taken down this journey. It's it's a really lovely play on words, and it's you know truth versus fiction, and how much do you believe of one versus the other as well? Right, data versus lore. So it's a nice play on words as well, which I really love. What about you, Greg? Did you uh, that? What did the title mean to you when you were a kid versus now? When I was a kid, I just loved the idea of there being an android named Data. First of all, like I was always fascinated with with him as a character. And then getting in the 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 evil twin being like, you know, in my brain, I thought data and lore was very syn- like a synonym. And I was like, oh, what a cool, clever play on words. Even back then, I was like, that's so cool that he's like the same thing, but different. And I didn't quite get all of those implications in the episode until watching it now as an older uh, uh, person with, the you know, the the mirrors and all that stuff, which we'll, which we'll get to. But man, the the words themselves tell almost the entire story. Absolutely. What do you think, Jimmy? Uh, yeah, brilliant. And uh, I didn't actually pick up on it. I, I did notice in the IMDb, it's all one word with a lowercase lore. Uh, other, you know, doing, looking it up around the web. There's some places that do put it as two capital words with a, a slash between the two. Um, but I think that's a brilliant uh, uh, analysis uh, of that. And now it just got my head spinning about all those things. Um, and it is it will talk about some of that that lore of data when he we, we find out a little bit of his history and it's part of that 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 fuels my hatred for wesley crusher and then comes full circle on how that changed a little bit in this episode uh, but the title is really is great thanks for 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 bringing that to my attention because I, I had totally ignored that no, absolutely. It, it That's one of the things that hit differently for me this time. Like I'd always thought it was a cool title and I'd always thought like Greg, that those were interesting words to be next to each other. But now like yeah. even, you know, the more we read about how data and the more I work in, you know, code a little bit myself now, the, the more you see that data isn't empirical either necessarily and you know the the, yeah. the way that he was programmed by soon has its own biases no matter what uh and we see some of that too in in data as he grapples with uh his i don't know naive trust initially of lore um what do you think about that? Uh, the first thing that happens, we know we're going to Data's house. Picard says, I have decided that we are going to take this detour for a couple of days and figure out what makes Data tick, right? For only a few hours that they'll be able to like <laughs> explore and walk around. Yeah. Uh, that opening bit I thought was really strong because, and it, the, the Gene did an actual fantastic job writing. I don't know if it was him or, or his co-writers who did this specific aspect of weaving in expo- exposition in a way that didn't feel always on- onerous. Every once in a while, you're like, oh, you're just saying that to get the story across. But they did very well at using dialogue to try to get out small details over time. And it made the viewer have to piece the whole story together from small bits and I really appreciated that. And it starts in the, in the opening when Yar is like, dude, I, I had no idea that you could actually hold that many people in once. And then you're like, well, wait, what? And then he explains a little bit and you get that thing. 
Kate, what you, what's your thought? There? No, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, I, I have this written down as well. But for me, it was more of a, I'm sorry, what the fuck with the what? Like, was this something I was supposed to know? Because it's so casually dropped, and then very casually, right after that, they drop. Oh, and the planet is uh, a, a, an entire civilization disappeared. Anyhow, <laughs> four hundred and eleven. Like, <laughs> yeah, and all of their memories are inside data. So are we all up to speed? Let's go. Like it was a little <laughs> bit of a head spinner for me where I actually rewound because I was like, wait, did she just say 411 people's memories are inside data? And this is something that I did not remember. What's happening? Yeah, full on. I, I thought to myself, well, that's an odd detail never to have stuck in my mind at any other point <laughs> ever in the history of the show again. Like, do you guys remember? I didn't look it up because mm-hmm. I want to be surprised. But does that come back up in this series? Do you know? I don't oh, think so. I mean. I didn't come across anything with the uh, 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 in any of the analysis that I or the the criticisms like, and they usually do bring up how like we're gonna see lore x number of times from here, and this is the last right. time we saw Argyle like this episode. It's the yeah, last time I did Argyle see some of that. Shows up. Um, oh, this was yeah, and oh, last episode Argyle. that Gene Poor Roddenberry wrote too. Oh, interesting. The very last Gene Roddenberry episode was Data Lore. Oh, um, maybe we'll have more. Uh, fully dressed women moving forward. Um, (laughs) Maybe we do. Speaking of that, you see somebody in a short skirt, I think it was a guy, get up from the navigation seat and all you see is like bummed down of the person exiting the seat and it looks like one of these short skirt men. Fantastic. (laughs) I definitely caught the the short skirt. I wasn't sure who it was on, but there was a lot of uh, ass cheek. I want all of the male short skirts on the show. It makes me very happy. This episode is the most butts out of any episode we've had so far. Because you also see the, you know, what we'll get to, what happens in the laboratory. Let's count the butts. Greg, how many butts did you see? It's like at least a two-butt episode, I think. At least a two-butt episode. That would be maybe 100% butt growth from our most butts yet. (laughs) So, I mean, in order to do 100% growth from now, we got to get all the way up to four butts, folks. And I'm not sure we got it. I'm not sure we got the horses. We have to get to generations. Well, so we were talking about that first scene. I know it also contains one of our fir- our favorite jokes in the entire episode, right? They're talking about all of this exposition and they get to how serious this is. And suddenly we get like maybe a hint of emotion about Data. They're, he's asked to be alone. And they say, well, I mean, I guess he must want to prepare himself. And then what happens, Greg? He sneezes or he pretends to, to <laughs> sneeze. The, uh, the whole, it's, maybe people who are watching now may not enti- like realize, but that is it was such a trope of like older television that I feel like my, 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 my kids just wouldn't get it. You know, and they didn't. They just thought it was a funny bit. But like that is such a thing of the, ah, uh, ah. Right. Uh, <laughs> Chew. And Chew. the fact that he gets it so wrong, like right off the bat, it it's hilarious. And then he it has a callback later in the scene where he is in the middle of talking. Wesley says something, and you know, in in his head, Data is thinking, "Shut up, Wesley." But instead, he re- responds and then does it again, and it's it cracks me up. It's very good comic timing. Like he's trying to surprise himself, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna scare myself into a real sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it's beautiful. We were talking not too many episodes ago about, you know, the, the tropes in acting where it's really difficult to cry effectively, laugh effectively, and I would certainly put sneeze on there. It is tough, and some motherfuckers will write a sneeze into the script, and you just gotta fucking find a way. And it's fun to see that. It's like holding a coffee cup, you know? It's something you just gotta learn how to do naturally and not feel like a moron. And I just watching Data do it just made me so happy. <laughs> Kate, do you got a sneeze? I, well, I played Miss Adelaide uh, in Guys and Dolls, and her entire thing is having a cold and sneezing. And so uh, I, it was very, it was, uh, uh, but I did, but I <laughs> you did You sound one, like Krista. I, I, right? I did one, uh, I do, I, I, I might have mauled my voice just a little bit on Krista. But, uh, you auditioned on moment, that sneeze, right? Like, that's why you got the part. <laughs> I had a moment at the end of uh, my sad song where everything is going really wrong. And I said, ha, ha, chew, and walked away <laughs> with just a sad chew. That's like uh, a reference which, to data, it feels like. It is. Yes! It's a little misdirection as well. It's nice. <laughs> I, I take after my mother with sneezing, and I'm going to back away from the microphone, but it goes okay. basically like this. <laughs> And that's my sneeze. That's terrible. I live wow. with an abusive sneezer. <laughs> yeah? A child or a spouse? A spouse who... Right. Uh, it, it, and it's something that's followed her whole life because her brothers, anytime she sneezes, they look at me they're like, I know. <laughs> and her dad has asked her, like, can you be a little quieter? In, in our house, anytime she sneezes, all, all three of us, me and the two daughters go, Mumbaku! It's <laughs> <laughs> a battle cry. It's, it sounds like she's doing the Wakanda war cry. You know, it's, uh, oh, it, yeah. it's delightful. But Data, the sneezing is brilliant, and it goes right into uh, having me think about his various... Because he goes right out from there to stand at the bridge and go look and get his first look at his home planet, and he's hesitant... And he's a little unsure how to even walk backwards and turn around. And I'm like, all right, so is this is this like his servos are overtaxed? I'm going, what is the, the thought process for the right. actor here? Because they certainly want an emotional reaction from him. But it has to be something he can somehow justify from like the servos in his neck and the, the conscious decision to communicate... Uh, thinking patterns to humans and stuff. What, what do you guys think? Do you, am I overanalyzing all that? I, no, there's this, I noticed absolutely that strange moment where it feels like he wants to say something and he's not sure what he wants to say. And what's interesting is the next thing he does say is he says, I suppose you could say, uh, home sweet home. Uh, if I only knew what the sweet was. So to me, I read it right. as that was the little glitch was looking for the appropriate uh, phrase to say and then hitting upon one that seemed like the right phrase, but glitching on the, I don't understand this part of the phrase. He's yeah. like, I want to use an idiom, but I don't know how this idiom is going to be right. And I don't want this to be a blunder moment. Like I've had so many of those in the past. I get yeah, that. He I, skipped a groove. I thought he was more embarrassed, which is like another emotion mm. too. But I think he, he, he involuntarily walks forward when he sees his own planet. I mean, mm. the right. crescendo... 
of the music and the the score of this, you know, this is just the first moment that is really noticeable where you're like, oh yeah, they want us to feel something about this yeah. planet. We're arriving at Jurassic Park. Yeah, like, it did. The music goes nuts. It's wonderful. Um, and then I think he realizes where he is and that he's taking the front. And you even get a look from Picard too. He's like, whoa, he's walking in front. Usually that's what I do. You know? And I, <laughs> <laughs> I think that that was the the weirdness that I felt. And then he comes back to be like, okay, no, I'm I'm equal, if not, you know, behind you, Captain Picard and observing this planet, right? And I think he's, he just right. doesn't know his place. And it's, it's kind of the, the that un- uncomfortability is, is what Data is struggling with this entire episode because he's like, well, I should be having emotions here, but I'm human. I'm not human. It's clearly a theme of the episode. Like, we'll come back to it later after they find Lore and everybody starts misgendering him <laughs> and everybody, you know, Data very firmly says, when you do that to him, you're doing that to me. You know, it, it's it seems like a very modern and and terrific couple of scenes but jimmy what do you think about it like do you see other ways that that theme is kind of throughout the the episode this this whole idea of being uncomfortable talking about truths uh, yeah i mean as in uh, his acting is great it's something that greg and i have had talks and debates about is i i have never really bought into the idea of robots ever been able to make the jump to human um I, I think it's one arrogant to assume that that is something to ascend to um i love the the, the trope of using a mechanical as a way of examining what is human yeah. and sort of showing us a mirror of how we should act or shouldn't act but the whole the journey for me is only as that razor's edge of this is what's good or bad about us and never a I don't ever buy into this is what could happen like this, this, this crossover. However, I do, I've found because it is a trope in sci-fi, it has come up where brilliant actors come into it and, and I'm sucked into their humanity. And for that, I totally bought into just the nervousness of a person, you know, afraid of, can I go back? Will it, will it feel like home? Like, you know, because uh, having moved around a lot, I, I know what it's like to to have gotten comfortable in one place where it feels like home and then leave and then come back and, and, and feel like it's foreign and feel like I'm a foreigner and that it's, I don't feel safe anymore. And then, you know, having experienced that and then going going back to a new place is like, oh, man, there's always trepidation of I, it, this used to feel great. Like if I went to New York right now, it would feel like, man, am I going to feel like a tourist? Am I going to look like a tourist? Right. right. You know? Um, and so I totally bought into that, that, that was what was happening was he didn't want to be a tourist on his own planet. Well, and you know, he, he finds a way to express that physically and emotionally without you going, Oh, yeah. this is emotion. Right. Um, so then we go down to the planet. With great lighting. Great lighting is what we <laughs> so find. <good. laughs> yes. This, like this episode has great lighting throughout. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this particular moment where we, we once we get inside, because of course we see the outside area and then we, right. we get uh, the altar. The altar, yes, where he has been left out. And then of course Jordy is able <laughs> right. to see that there's something not quite right here. Uh, but once we go into that hallway, it's just like that in Diego great... Montoya with a sword and <laughs> not. <laughs> yes. and, and let's not gloss over where Jordy goes, 
Yeah, just as I expected. <laughs> it's very Scotty, right? This was very it's, clever. It's very, I'll take two days to do, uh, you know, what I said takes two weeks. By the way, did you see they made transparent aluminum? Are we the last uh, Trek uh, podcast to talk about that? Is that real? Yeah. There's real transparent made, aluminum? Yeah. Wow. Uh, enjoy, enjoy looking it up, anyone who hasn't seen it. But they announced that this week it's an aluminum compound that you see through. And it's what? incredibly strong. And yep. I didn't think that was... Is dilithium real now, too? Like, what's going on? <laughs> well, they'll find a way. Can't wait to make my robot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, Jimmy, you don't believe in uh, robots making that final move. Have you seen the Boston Dynamics robots dancing? Because yes. that will chill your soul. I have seen it. It chilled my soul. Uh, because m- much because they they've got rhythm, uh, and they've got they've got they did a little uh, jets move. A when you're a jet, you're the jet. Like a little yeah. side move, which was like I, I felt like that was a bring it on moment. And that's the one where there's one robot dancing, right? And then a second one comes into view. And then there's uh, a third one that comes on. Yeah, like a little the, dog one, right? The, and then there's a fourth one that's like the massive one. Okay. Yeah. And you know what? I couldn't tell if it was real or if it was all computer generated. Oh, nothing is real anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's part of the whole thing is. It's like the moon landing. I don't even know if it's real. So I don't know. No, if me it's, either. Uh... Yeah. I did watch Capricorn 1 the other day and it holds up. All right, so we find we find data. Data finds data dismembered in a little storage space. Yes. But first, they all have this long little talk about the philosophy of being data without letting data talk. Mm. It's like Riker talks about him and kind of Jordy talks about him. And then Riker's like, ah, fuck it. Maybe we'll never know. You two look in here and we'll go look over there. (laughs) And then they find lore. Uh, But it just looks like a a mannequin data uh, with with all of the wonderful things that implies. Like we expect we're going to see the alien scene where they put the android's head down on a table and it comes to life. And we didn't get it. We didn't get it in this episode. It was so sad to me. Like space pirates. Remember space pirates? (laughs) The bad guy's head is just ice pirates. Ice pirates. Yeah, I do. Well, they do it in Alien too with Ian Holm, and then they do it in Alien Three with Lance Henriksen. They just do it. It's it's my favorite trope. It's very good. It's very good. I did. I was waiting for that moment. I was waiting for the head to come alive. We get that a little bit when it finally did. Yeah, it was very nice. Well, and obviously it was operational because while he was dis- disemboweled, Holy. he was communicating with the crystalline entity and learning oh, how to communicate with it. So That crystalline entity. <laughs> it the was first beautiful. time they said it, I'm like, oh, what a villain. What a wonderful, unknowable villain, the crystalline entity. Did you guys get a little kind of memory of that monster from when you were 12? Absolutely. Yeah, no. And it's also uh, it's shown up so many times since then, too, that I'm like, oh, that's that this is the first mention. It's like, you know, similar to re- us revisiting Q and, and, the, and the and the Ferengi is like, oh, yeah, this is the first time you really get the the, you know, the gospel about what this this thing is all about. And it was only in two next generation episodes, which which baffled me i thought because it's become so big in universe i i was very confused was it a big part of d space nine or something 
Because I don't remember this being uh, part of the Star Trek lore. Tell me about it. Isn't it in Discovery Season 2? Am I crazy? I haven't watched. Oh, no, or Picard. Don't they mention it in Picard? It's it's come up in some of the recent Star Treks. Or maybe yeah, I'm maybe just... Picard they mentioned yeah, yeah. it. I don't remember it in I Disco. just remember it from D- Deep Space Nine. Or not Deep Space Nine. Uh, Next Generation. Mm. And the way, just the term itself just fired my imagination. And then they show this, like, snowflake thing that's making this noise and shimmering. And just, I, it, it really was a wonderfully terrifying monster to me when I was a kid. It resonates for sure. Yeah. In more ways than one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. No, because my, my uh, daughters, when they saw it, they were immediately like, whoa, what is that? Um, it, and it's specifically the shot where you see the, the enterprise in front of it and you get the scale. I think when it's, you know, the few shots leading up to it, when you see it chasing, you don't quite get the grandeur, but having that, like, that one shot and then in these remastered episodes, they do a great job of, of improving these uh, graphics to make it really look, you know, re- really solid. Um, yeah, that got a, a, a woe of wonder from the little folk. Wow. Oh, this is awesome. Well, and you bring up another piece of science fiction that has become science fact, and it's the, the rear view camera, which, of course, uh, the Enterprise had it's well true. before the Prius did. That's um, true. <laughs> I guess it's after. It's still after. The Prius in, it must have inspired the Enterprise, really. <laughs> um, so the crystalline entity, Lore and him have been uh, communicating. We well, get wait, 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 hold on before we yeah, do, because I on. think Jimmy yes. said they were communicating when he was apart. Do you is, is that true or I is they, they communicating? Got- yeah, I mean that's why he's disassembled is because the colonists were like, oh, f- you know, fuck y'all, you're not bringing this thing to us, and that somehow a deal was struck, and that's what Lore says that a do- deal was struck at, while he was still assembled with the crystalline entity. Uh, and then right. somehow the colonists discovered this and hastily destroyed Laura, or at least took him apart and then made data happen, put all the memories in him, and then they died. Before the crystalline entities ate them up somehow? Yeah. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> well, well that, if, if there's time for races. multiple children to draw pictures of it and for them to get posted. So I have a feeling there was a little bit of a decline or there was a little bit of time in between first seeing no, that the makes thing sense. and and it actually sucking the life I just always assume thing. when somebody makes a statement that I missed something and I'm just yes anding so it all works for me <laughs> um <laughs> we'll clean this up it's perfect greg you mentioned the daughters yes what did they think of the episode as a whole they uh they liked it a lot. They said it was their favorite since, you know, of the ones that we watched together. Uh and uh let's get, take a little listen because they said some amazing fun stuff about it. Welcome to Kid Trek. I'm here with Edna. Hello. And Fiona. Hello. And we just watched Data Lore, the episode Ooh. in which we meet Data's twin brother. So uh, what do you guys think overall about this episode? Give me your thoughts, Edna. I actually really like it. Yeah? Yeah. I think it's my favorite episode so far, actually. Really? Yeah. Fiona, what do you think? I think it's my favorite episode, too. It's really interesting. Yeah? Okay, cool. So uh, the whole beginning part, you learn a lot about Data and where he came from, right? So, Edna, what did you think about his planet, the planet that he uh, grew up on? Um, I think... It was very life lifeless and had barely any life on it before the colonists yeah. were there, um, I think. And 
he there was like this cave that was like a hidden um, laboratory. Mm-hmm. Did you think the laboratory looked cool? Yeah, it looked really cool. The music was really cool then. Yeah, yeah, and it had like all the um, body parts of Data, and it even had that plastic mold of his face, and when he put it on his face, that was really cool. That was cool. Yeah, I was like, Dang. Fiona, what did you think about uh, Data's home planet? I think that it was very interesting because we got to see the um, laboratory, and my favorite part about the laboratory is um, when he sees the head and all of the body parts to, to make get, to put it back to, together. Yeah, to put it back together. Nice. So that was a weird can. scene when he had the two of them side by side and all of them being put back together. What did you yeah, think about that? That was weird. It looked kind of. Um, I didn't. I couldn't tell which one was Data and which one was not Date. Which was um, Lore. Yeah. So I, I, I was guessing that the thing being worked on was not Data. I think it was Lore because she. There's also one other one. It's not getting looked looked um, worked on because it's it's Data, so they can see how it was programmed. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So that's kind of a theme throughout here is that you can't necessarily tell who is who. And I could tell data is trying to emulate humans. Uh, Lore tries to be data. He pretends to be data throughout it. There's a lot of mirrors in this episode where you see reflections of yourself and you'd be like, wait, I look like that. Have you done that right? When you looked in the mirror and you're like, what is that really what I look like? That was a little bit what data was experiencing in this episode. What do you think about that, Edna? I think he was probably a little uh, uncomfortable because he never really has has. Are there mirrors on the ship? Yeah, you oh. saw them in this episode. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, yeah. I forget that scene. Um, I I think a lot of the times I look in the mirror and I like stick my tongue out and put it in like swirly ways or something like that, and. I think he was just watching how Lore was, like, his twitch. Yeah. Like, he's blinked, like, mm. and then I I saw actually Data's face go, like, when he did it in front of him. Yeah, right. No, I, it's really weird that he does that, that twitch thing. Fiona, you kept asking about that twitch. What, what, did, what did it make you feel when you saw that? When I saw that, I was like, is it a special... Um, is it a special thing that he has and it's going to come up in the episode as being something interesting? So then I was thinking that maybe it was like, I don't know, like a power, something. Oh, like it was giving him these like secret powers or something yeah. like that? Or well, he did get in a big an fight un- with war. For, oh, sorry. And then what? It was like an uncontrollable unco- power, kind of like Elsa's. I think it was a little bit like he couldn't control it until he used that weird flashlight tool on, on the face. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Wesley is not listened to at first in this episode. And uh, one of your favorite lyrics from a recent Taylor Swift song is what? Um, when you are young. Oh, yeah. When you are young, they assume you know nothing. <laughs> Do you think that was a little bit happening to Wesley in this episode? Oh yeah, yeah. He was like, um, <laughs> one of my favorite parts was when the captain said, "Shut up, Wesley," <laughs> and then and then the mom looked at the captain and like, 
shut up, Wesley. And then Wesley started talking and she said, shut up, Wesley. <laughs> Did that ever happen in, in, in our house, Edna? Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> sometimes. Um, I think that um, the, s- the second that Wesley saw Data, well, not exact, it wasn't Day- Data, it was Lore Twitch inside of Data's outfit. He knew, he knew Lore was pretending to be Data and no one listened to him. Because, um, as Lore said in the beginning of the episode, he said that I'm more human than you because I say I'm instead of I am and um, wasn't instead of was not. And in like two times in the episode, Lore pretending to be Data said like we're in front of Wesley and Wesley was like, <gasps> no, you didn't. No, you're not. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> All right, so what did you guys think about the uh, fight at the end? No, wait, before we get there, let's talk about the crystalline entity, and then we'll talk about the fight, because you both were like, whoa, that looks cool. You like crystals. I saw the um, crystal, and I was like, um, from the back of their ship, I saw it, and I was like, wait a second, is that, it looks like kind of like a snowflake? Yeah. When it got closer, I didn't think it was that big. And then when the ship compared to it, kind of like, um, you know how the Milky Way, like it's swirly. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what it looked like to me, kind of like a new universe in space, kind of. Oh, yeah, like a fractal universe. Like, that's pretty cool. Like, it was like a line with like all of these lines coming out and then like something kind of like furry. It's not f- exactly furry, but it was like going around like a little fur stuff, you know? Yeah. yeah. What did you think, Edna? Of the crystalline entity. I thought it was really pretty. And I thought for some reason when I looked at it first, I thought that people were like living on there. Mm. Like it might be sort of what Fiona said about the universe, that it might be different lines of where people live. Like in the ship that all the people are on, like Data and Lore, there's like this whole part of it that's like bigger than the... Um, engine part where all these people live. Gotcha. Oh, I thought it was so cool how Lore was speaking to it. Yeah. And um, I think at that point, everybody thought that it was a little bit strange because Data and nobody ever knew um, Data slash Lore was able to do that. A.K.A. Lore. A.K.A. Lore. Um, was able to do that, so um, I think all of them were su- um, sp- suspicious. They were indeed. Actually, not all of them were. It was just Wesley. He was the only one who figured it out. Like, Maybe Crusher, uh, his mom was too. S-U-S, Wesley sus. <laughs> Wesley was sus. It's an Among Us reference for those of you who don't know. So the fight at the end, you guys were belly laughing when Lore and Data were throwing barrels at each other. Why was it so funny? Data was like, because like they were, it was kind of slow motion. Like they were straight faced the whole time. Like, and the funniest part was when Lore threw Data like, (laughs) (laughs) no, Data threw. Like, oh yeah, Data I know. Threw, threw, him, but... Data threw lore into the it air. It was like, 
anyway, and it was like, um, Laura's flying Bruzek in the air, <laughs> Wait, and he had straight face the whole time because he's no, like, my, my favorite part is when. Uh, the mom finally leaves, and then Dale looks at Laura, and then takes him out into <laughs> all of the barrels. And I can, I know in that part, Laura is like mad right now. He's like super. I annoyed. had no idea, Data, my twin brother was as powerful as me. Right, they have that like evil twin, like oh, it makes me wish I was an only child. Yeah, that's no. what Data. Do you says. ever say that to like, Fiona? Um, no. Fiona, do you ever say that to Edna? No. See. That's just not something siblings do. I love my sister. Aww. <laughs> you guys never fight like that. Although, never. <laughs> I will say today, I said, go downstairs and fight. And they had a little fight club downstairs. It was fun, though. It was like a... Not like a <laughs> I was, no, I was... With I had our bean bag and I hit her. <laughs> bag, and yeah. then she hit me. <laughs> it was a play fight. <laughs> See, and then you got to see two uh, brothers fight in Star Trek. So it fits everything. Right, well, thanks you, thanks you, as always, for talking and watching Star Trek Next Generation. Dadler with me. Say goodbye to Edna. Bye. And Fiona. Bye, bye, bye. Kid Trek. <laughs> and that was Kid Trek. Episode what? Three? Is that our third Kid Trek? I think so. That's a third one. So we, we stopped uh, talking about the score, but... Really, it's one of the main characters of this episode, both when he sees the planet for the first time and then a little bit later when they are discovering the lab. When they walk into that lab, there's about a 40 second piece of music that absolutely would feel at home in 90s Spielberg. Yeah, it is epic. It is strings joined with oboes with timpani just kind of coming in the rear barely like it. I hadn't watched the episode yet when Greg said he wanted to talk about it. And then I forgot that he said he wanted to talk about it. And then the music started. And I'm like, oh, yeah, let's talk about this. What do you got, Greg? It's it's a big part of it, right? I mean, there's two big crescendo moments, you know, which is rare in, in, in an Indian piece of television like this. But they really do make both of them kind of work in some ways. Um, and then I love the synth that, that's get added into a lot of the uh interactions with lore it really is almost like a theme of lore is to have this like little like you know uh axel f reminiscent synth music playing in the background that you know it clues you into it being it's future it's it's android uh but it's really prominent you know uh, uh when they're doing the whole um montage of putting together the two of them uh and then you know you get a lot of it uh through the the, the fight and all the climax of it as well but man it, it does feel like another character. You're totally right. Kate, do you think they miss anything by playing their hand immediately when Lauren uh, opens his eyes and you get the sudden dark shift in the music? Uh, or did we all know that's where it was going? Um, That's a great question. Uh, we might have missed a little something because by, by telegraphing it a little too soon. Uh, because he's so good at... At saying the right things in that first those first couple scenes, um, but what I do think that we gain is he is immediately this other entity with just the shift of his mouth and the and the way he arches his eyebrows. I mean, like the only right. thing we get to see, he's acting from the because he's his body is still in the little medical you know, table. So he's acting from the shoulders up and it is immediately someone 
something different than than what we've experienced. That little smirk, oh, right, Jimmy. So good. <laughs> Did you have uh, specific things that you noticed about the difference between Data and Lore, Jimmy? In uh, performance. Well, yeah, the the performance. I mean, he drops it is is volume a little bit, uh, and then of course the writing with the contractions. Um, but he's also not trying to talk mechanical. Like he's he's talking like Brent Spiner and not like a character data. Um, and so you get a you get to see I think a little bit more of Brent Spiner in lore than you actually get to see in data. So it, it was I'm sure freeing for him to be able to like just loosen up a little bit. Uh, and, and, you know, like he says in an interview, like he got to just shake it out and, <laughs> and have some fun. Um, yeah. So good. For well, him. I would, I would say even in the moments where he has Lord do a perfect impression of data, you know, they, they, they move the camera a little bit to, to make sure we know, but also there is something he does with his eyes mm-hmm. that is just literally the difference between having just dead innocence there and using the body to convey stuff to he does something that that puts emotion in lore even when he's doing all of the data voice same uh intonation same rhythms everything same face there's something in the eyes and it's just awesome and it's a joy to watch my favorite moment where that is on full display is when dr crusher tries to catch him a little bit where she's like, I thought we said that we were going to keep the off switch a secret. And you st- you see him being data and you see him processing really fast. And maybe this is a little bit of audience just knowledge. Uh, right. But, you know, I, I, I had that same moment. We're like, man, he's so good at being not data, but also data. To, and it's it's terrifying, almost even more so. It's the whole thing about how we get to decide how good a liar our character is. Yeah. Like we go over it over and over and over again. And why the hell would you choose to make your character a bad liar unless the script doesn't give you any right. help? And, and you it may- just yeah. makes your partner look so terrible. It, like <laughs> right. they, because then they look like an idiot because they're not seeing the obvious thing. And that's the brilliance of somebody like Brent Spiner. He's a good yeah. partner. He's he's not making you look dumb. <laughs> Well, and you see it from the whole cast when, you know, when Picard walks in, they all change their physicality when, you know, mm-hmm. when they're talking to each other and and not to a subordinate or someone ahead, they change how they, they speak. Like it's it's a really aware cast of what everybody else on, on screen is doing. It's great. In some ways, that's what, again, another theme in this episode is, is how do you see yourself and having a mirror sometimes when you're interacting with someone, I mean, maybe we're doing that a lot more nowadays with these zoom calls uh, constantly all day. And we're having to look at ourselves constantly, but that's not the norm for most people, especially in 1988 when they were watching this. And so having that duality and, and having uh, the way lore is behaving reflected back to data, data is immediately being like, Oh, you're embarrassing me. Like, hold on a second. Like, we're not like this. You're not acting like a Starfleet. Like and from the, from the jump, the first scene after um, Lorik becomes awake, they're immediately at odds with each other. Data is like, "Hold on, you know, we'll see when the when the captain is, you know, approves you being on the bridge, then you can be on the bridge." And they have that like argument, and it's immediately Data being like, "Hey, dude, only Wesley listen. gets to jump those protocols, my friend." That's it. That's right. That's it. But I mean, I I agree, Greg. Like that scene's unbelievable. You you 
start to think, or at least I did, that you can't actually have data have a conversation with an enemy intelligence ever unless <laughs> someone else is there because he's so trusting and he's so willing to give the benefit of the doubt that like he will say to to Lord, well, that's not what we're going to do. And then when Lord goes, oh, no, I didn't mean that. He goes, oh, okay. And then he moves on. And like he, he is very trusting and naive. But the question is, would his training prevent him from doing that? Were it not him, right? Were right. it not his mm. his brother? Were it not his mirror image? I don't right. know. It's a flaw. It's a flaw in the coding. All right. So we were talking about the the uh, we were talking about Doctor Crusher and how she saw through it for a moment, and then was like, "No, it's probably fine." And then who starts to come to the rescue? Kate and Jimmy fight over it. Go go. No, it's so exciting because this happens. Well, okay, because of a. So I don't know why you send a teenager to do important jobs for one thing. And I get that it's Wesley and he's the chosen one. But there's like this moment where they're like, this has been gone too long. This could be bad. Wesley, would you just go casually check on him? And he even says something like, just check on him, but don't let him know you're checking on him. Right. Uh, And he does a Picard maneuver, and then there's that extra. And then, I guess, yes, Greg, yes. I love there's, that guy. There's a there's a guy, the guy who's at security, basically like Wesley does this little thing, walks by, and he turns to look at everyone like, that's our Wesley. That guy. <laughs> I missed it, but I'm going right back for it that. There's so nothing cute. better than a identifiable extra moment. It's the best. It's so great. It's so Live great. I wondered if if they like had I I, I get back to the segregate, but like that if they just saw that he had this great smile and they're like, do that for the camera when he walks by because we all think he's being like plucky young ensign going to do something. He's like, oh, that kid, how adorable. Oh it's, God, I hope so. It's like the opening moment of the Wesley sitcom. Da 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 da. Wesley, <laughs> I'm the chosen one. <laughs> <laughs> but right before, so, so we've got yeah, we've got we've got this moment where we send Wesley to go. We we we've skipped the fact that Lore basically slips Data a Mickey, right? Which, <laughs> Which I didn't know you could Spanish fly an yeah. android. <laughs> Spanish fly mechanical. Like, I don't know Funky, cool what Medina. exactly. But also a great lighting moment in that scene right mm-hmm. before uh, the, 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 the slipping of the Mickey. Very just film noir. Light, light just right on Lore's eyes. So well done. I really was impressed with the lighting in general. Oh, There's yeah. another moment at the, towards the end where Laura is just lit from behind or from below. Yeah. Uh, and she just he looks like Marlena that. Dietrich. <laughs> it's yeah. so good. But yeah, we send we send Wesley and, and he starts to think, you know, he, he's got that great line where he says, it's a good thing you said. Cannot, because if you'd said can't, I would have known, you know. Yeah. Anyway, bye. <laughs> I have been practicing his facial tick is such so- a dark line. It's great. Right? That's like Hannibal Lecter. Then, like, <laughs> oh. And then to fix the facial tick and to start the facial tick in Data, he uses the same laser that is used for everything in the entire universe. It's yes. the same laser that's used for sculpting later in the next generation. It's been used yeah, to Doctor just Who. point 
Yeah. Well, yeah. He yeah. used a sonic screwdriver. That's exactly yeah. what happened. Yeah, yeah. And they have an earlier episode when they're building data. And I remember thinking, it's like, I wonder what designer thought in the future. Let's just make everything blink. Because, <laughs> you know, they're they're working on them and it's like a long screwdriver and there's lights that just go up it constantly. It looks like half of a flux capacitor. Yeah. yeah. They were uh, cashing in that kit, uh, you know, as long as it's got flashing lights going back and forth, it looks like it's from the future. Right. Cylons. We can keep going. There's a great moment when they go into the lab for the first time where there's four uh, neon tubes rods, you know, of of the lights. Oh, right. But but they're neon tubes and you can actually hear them going on and off. And they left that audio in there probably because they had to. But but it also like. The room tone works for that, right? But, <laughs> but you can very distinctly hear each neon tube going on and off. I thought that was just laboratory sounds, like when things happen whenever you're in a laboratory. <laughs> that was the cleanest right looking next to laboratory. The high Halloween CD. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at that point, we have Wesley come in. He's seen that data is lore, and then he's convinced again that it is data. So then we go back to the bridge and Riker comes with him next time. Before that happens, we get the yeah. term, uh, we get a, a a bogey happens. He says, there's a bogey. Oh, right. Somebody and saw I Top Gun. Know, I, right? I didn't right. know we were still right. using that in the 24th century. Well, it is what? A, is that where? Top Gun, Top Gun was 86. Did I catch a niner in there? Nine <laughs> <laughs> just amazing yeah it, we're only a couple years out of top gun everything's a mig and a bogey you know why not well and there's a beautiful moment wesley knows something wrong because uh because lore says beautiful isn't it yes and that was wesley a good gets this moment because he has this contraction right. and then he throws a tantrum yeah he does and every adult there adults so hard at him that they almost break him. Jimmy, Shut what up. happens? Well, yeah, they totally go away from everything they've written about the the wonder kid, Wesley Crusher. I mean, every single instance up until now, Wesley has done nothing but been overwritten as he sees things that nobody else does. I mean, this is in the canon of Star Trek that they've given us as writers. I'm not inferring this upon him. They've stuffed it down our throats that Wesley sees things that nobody else does to the point where it's annoying and it's insulting the way he is given the words as an actor to deliver it. Like, well, why don't you just do this? Oh, that's how the engines can be 50% better. Sorry. I didn't see it, kid. Uh, You know, it's, it's, it's constant that it's, he's, he's the most brilliant person to enter Starfleet ever. And then all of a sudden, Riker when he's being brilliant have had enough (laughs) how (laughs) dare you you know like all they've experienced since then like the one thing is like he's like "Mm, this kid says something as annoying as it is I gotta I gotta put credence in anything he says because there's more than once where he saved our ass you know one time a kid saves your ass the rest of your life you gotta listen yeah so just let me Listen. Let me ask you a question. Yes. Does this mean that uh, because he was right this time, does this mean that Wesley has redeemed himself? Whoa. In your eyes? Whoa. No. 
<laughs> and, and I'll tell you why. Please, please tell, me I'll tell why. you why. I've never disliked the actor. I've always disliked what the writers have done to this character. And this is just another example of how they totally disregarded what they're doing with this poor character. Like they're building him up, building him up. And then all of a sudden, now the people are just going to disregard him for no reason other than Gene Roddenberry decided I'm going to disregard you in this episode so that we can have a perfect foyer. See how I was right? It, yeah, it's... but also he knew that we would need the shut up Wesley meme someday. And that is yeah, foresight. True. That is knowledge that <laughs> someday sight. we're going to need something to bring us together. That's a few years before uh, Al Gore even invented the interwebs. <laughs> so kudos to Roddenberry for seeing into the future. I didn't have a thought until just now talking through this, but you mentioned earlier, Eric, how they're all really uncomfortable around data at the start of this episode when they're talking yeah. about uh, uh, lore being an it and misgendering and how Jean-Luc Picard has to do that. Like, he has the best, like, you know, uh, correction of himself where he's like, you know, you're right. Yeah. I, I fucked up. <laughs> Moving I on. We're going to apologize. We're going to do yeah. it this way from now on, which is, which is amazing. Uh, and then that scene in the ready room with Jordy and Riker, you know, they also have that uncomfortability there that they get over and how happy Riker and Jordy are to be like, okay, whoosh, we can get over uh, all this uncomfortability and then we can just, you know, have this uh, uh, faith in data. I wonder if that plays into this moment with Wesley in that they are trying to not necessarily put down Wesley, although they certainly do, but they're trying to make sure that they, that the entire crew knows that we've got data's back. I didn't even consider that. That's really interesting because now that you say it, there's that moment where Tasha Yar asks after Data right. leaves, can we trust Data? And everyone gets this look and Picard has to back her up and say, of course we trust him. And that was a great question to ask everyone. Everyone calm down, calm down. Calm. Like, I, I think that's really fascinating. And then a great I, little smile. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, John Luke. You know, if you weren't the captain, John Luke. <laughs> because that's where the android and human metaphor breaks down. Because mm. it's been a metaphor for various outside groups up until now. You know, how do you judge a book by the cover? How do you do this? How do you do this? But then because it is actual twins, <laughs> once one replaces the other and the metaphor of judging the entire race by one person is a little tougher to make because it is the same exterior person 100%. So when he's trying to give Data his his uh, support and they all give it to, they can't know they're giving it to the wrong one in the same way they could if it wasn't a metaphor. So it's a weird thing. I applaud the use of it, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of with Jimmy on this. I think the immediate switch is weird even with the new... Uh, perspective from Greg, which I appreciate. I, I I hope that's how they were doing it. I don't think Gene Rodimi is too stupid to see it. Yeah, I don't know if he did it on purpose or not, but that's <laughs> one interpretation that could be out there. But I actually totally by the end of the episode, though, I think I might be more in your camp uh, because they clean it up real quick. They're like, we got rid of data, <laughs> we got rid of lore, and forever, forever, yeah, pa forever. Picard looks at at Data, who is in Lore's uh, costume. 
and has the t- twitch and there's no suspicion whatsoever right and a part of me is like what the fuck dude like how can you even how could you not even have a question and at least verify like data are you you yeah they talk before they don't even let him talk dog at the end they really do yeah to to show us that there's some real problems going on <laughs> in the last shot. And the last shot is the, is is Chummy, Riker, and Picard being like, oh, let's get off. And I would I, part of me wants to just have like one scene looking back at Data and being like twitching for the camera. Twitching. Is it a wink? Is it a twitch? I don't know. I can't well, can wait we... to see you later, Captain. I mean <laughs> <laughs> Well, and then you go to the other meme from this episode that I see everywhere of that Riker smile that we talked about earlier when he's sitting next to Jordy and Picard is like, Yes, and we could just talk about it however we want, and it's going to be fine, and we'll just get through this together. And that slow smile that Riker has from like, I'm not sure what's going on, all the way to <laughs> <laughs> like the Joker to shit is, eating grin. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. I have I have a few ideas what he's doing as a performer there, but like I would not have had the guts to go as far as he did. Uh, can we talk? There's two great fights in this, which mm. uh, I wrote in all caps for both of them because one of them is an elevator fight or yes. you know an airlift fight, which is very exciting. Uh, 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 and then there's a shipping container fight. And both <laughs> very exciting. I always when it's when it's a, a situation like that where it's inside and you don't even really have room to put your arms all the way out, like the Captain America fights uh, in the elevator as well. Like, I always think back to, I think it's Lethal Weapon, where the fight director used a prison-style martial art called Jailhouse Rock that is an American martial art that developed in a couple of prisons on the East Coast, I believe, and is all about using the walls, using the furniture uh, by throwing your opponent into them, and then very up-close punches and kicks without taking the time to really extend any of your of your uh, limbs because you also want to do it without being visible right like you want right. to, like you want to be able to do it in a crowd and not see well, the guard and you don't want to hit your elbows on anything you're you're not trying to hit mm. you know it's it's a super interesting martial art and i always think of that with fights like that elevator fight that i know jimmy brought up briefly and kate like why don't you talk about exactly what went through your head watching Data and Worf in that elevator. Well, first of all, there's that exciting moment where we, uh, as the audience, know things are happening. We know that the switch has happened, but and, and Wesley has been raising the alarm, but he, Worf steps into the door with two other, you know, security people and he says, emergency, you know, close or whatever. Right. And th- so it's immediate, right, where the doors close behind him and before Worf even really has much time to, to to get his bearings, the fight is, you know, basically he gives his taunt and the fight is on. Um, Michael right. Dorn does a fantastic wall <laughs> slide, <laughs> like slide yeah. down. It is yeah. backhand into flying into the wall. So good. Uh, but the, there's something about that. uh economy of movement which is really scary yeah uh because it's speed Mm -hmm. and efficiency it's like watching spock fight like who the hell wants to fight spock he barely moves and you're unconscious (laughs) like it's incredible yeah 
And then the fight. Jimmy, you were talking about the fight. I mean, I know you love to watch Worf get up there as a prop to show everybody that this thing is even stronger than this person who's even stronger than us. And I think it's uh, actually a great bit of world building on Roddenberry's part and just longevity of the show and, and the audience knowing that the Klingons are badasses. So. And I only bring that up because Worf gets his ass kicked so many times, and yet right. I still think he's a badass. Like it doesn't diminish his badassery in my mind at all. Even though I've yet to see him win a fight. <laughs> well, part part of what the biggest badass in a group's job is is to you know be the first one in true. to let everybody else go. That's true. Not winning. And it's not your job to win right. that. You're just it's your job to take up time. Not being afraid to get in there and he's never he is it. and he's the measuring stick. If you can beat a wharf, <laughs> you are to be feared. Like that's that, that's something that goes around the ship is like he beat a wharf. <laughs> what? No, I heard they were in the airlift and he fucked him up. He threw Warf against a wall. Everybody on the ship was like, I ain't going near Data or Lore. There's no way I'm fucking around with Lore. Like, that and is. Then, and then they quietly say to themselves, Do you think Data could do that? <laughs> <laughs> because they're humans and white humans for the most part. Right. I and could they're take terrible. Them. I could take them. <laughs> data, that's exactly it if you like give three me that of, shield, of the guys in the mess hall are like I could totally take him you give me one of those shields dude I'll fuck him up <laughs> Data reminds them every single time though they're, he's always like and there's some things I can do better than you and and right. fighting and beating your ass up is one of them for sure that's certainly implied Yeah, and sleeping well, we- with your females <laughs> <laughs> Except well, there's a there's a chance if you can put two fingers inside Data that you can shut him down for good. Oh, <laughs> turn him off. Oh, I didn't even get the, that metaphor. The deal is, also I need to say I don't think it's his fault. But when he's turned off and he falls down, it's the only bad thing I've seen, where he falls backwards and then they cut and he lands on his chest. Oh yeah. It's amazing. It's I, a servos. Uh, <laughs> they're like cats. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I can see that. Well, you couldn't see because it was waist down. His legs were still pointed up. <laughs> like a G.I. Joe figure. <laughs> but that fight in the cargo bay, mm-hmm. it elicited laughter from my daughters uh, really? immediately. As soon as he picked up a barrel and threw it at him and you get that like bonk, 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 bonk. They're like, they were both excited because it's, you know, it's a little bit titillating to be like, oh, there's a fight sure. going on. But they were also like just cracking up the entire time. And I was like, I don't know if that was the... The uh, intended thing, but they didn't grow up with the A-Team and Airwolf and all of these, you know, tropey type of fights that we saw all the time. Right. Yeah. Before you could ride the explosion, because they didn't have the the, uh, ability to do that graphic, you could land in barrels. Right. You could be thrown (laughs) in. That would break your fall. Yeah. It was cardboard boxes. Right. Empty wooden crates. Yeah. They they, things, oh, I've I've done all of you. those cheats on stage, all of them, absolutely. It's wonderful. Nothing is funnier. I mean, it's funny falling, and you're great at that. But falling I into something falling. and having things <laughs> like fall down—that's funnier. Yeah. I don't know why. Props are great. Props are great. Mad props. Yeah, we all know it. We prefer it. That, that's the other trope I like. In addition to the stuff we were talking about earlier about laughing and crying, 
is every time they show a non-actor character learn to act, they are always carrying two coffee cups. And that's just perfect. That's a joke that everybody does. And yeah, I wish I could act holding two coffee cups all the time. It would feel natural and awesome. That's how they teach you to ski, too. Really? Yes, when I when I learned to ski, they told me to make your skis like a pie or like a pizza and mm-hmm. then hold your hands like you're holding um, a hot chocolate. And it actually helps you balance on your way down. Uh, and uh, they taught this way at the particular mountain that I that I skied at. And when I was in high school, I had a knee that dislocated chronically and I was thought that I was OK with it. And I went skiing and it dislocated on my way down the hill. And there I am with a leg just out of alignment. Oh my and this God. little kid comes skiing up with their little snowplow and their tiny little imaginary hot cup of cocoa and skied directly over my leg and just <laughs> kept going down the You got a ski by. A ski by. Did he also say $2 as he went? $2. <laughs> yeah, no shit. $2. That's amazing. So. Jimmy, let's talk a little about fashion. (laughs) I know it is a passion of yours. Your passion fashion is well known. What about the facial hair in this episode? (laughs) Just about the fashion passion. I got to say that just last night as as the five o'clock hour came and I was like, what did I ever do before the fleece lined hoodie? Uh, it's my Mr. Rogers Question. outfit, but yes, I feel it, that about the robe I am currently wearing. Yes. It, the adult that I am, you know, uh, Greg brings up the the music and how it is a character of the show, and Kate brilliantly is is taken aback by the the lighting and how it accentuates the characters. Uh, and you know, the big thing that I noticed was so many of the men have pointed. Sideburns in this episode. <laughs> Very pointy. <laughs> is that like I was like Googling was pointed sideburns big in 88? <laughs> Did I miss out on something? Did you find out? <laughs> I couldn't find anything. What I want to blow your mind with is you mentioned writer da- or Riker data and lore. Yes. Since you mentioned that, I watched it and I got to add Jordy and Tasha have pointed what? sideburns in this episode too. <laughs> Yeah, wow. they had that the whole time? I have no idea. I don't either. It was just this episode. Like, and maybe it's because Data was, you know, Brent was playing two characters. And I was like, oh, they both have it. And then there's a close-up of Riker on the bridge. And I was like, oh, my God, Riker has pointed sidebrow too. What? What's going on? This is yeah, not, I never noticed. It's not a yeah. mistake. It's either think- the actors were in on it. Like, oh, I like that. I, Brent, I like this. Uh, or uh, I it think was... you might be onto something because the late 80s, early 90s hairstyle was very much there was this deconstruction like sort of period where everything was really angular and like everything was really steep in there in, in how they would cut everything. So you may you may be on the new waivers. The new waivers made it to SETI Alpha 5 or wherever the fuck this one takes place. (laughs) Well, y'all, this is beautiful. Uh, Is there anything else you want to take a look at before we end here? Like, this was an amazing episode. You have the crystalline entity, the Galactus-type villain that only shows up every once in a while but makes a fucking entrance. 
you have data, you have lore. Uh, it's just, it's incredible. What, what's your biggest takeaway from this one, Greg? I mean, we, we've touched on different aspects of it, but the whole production quality is amazing in this, uh, from the composing to the lights. I really loved the exploration of the base where you have the, that top down lighting that has that grid, uh, all in where they are. And it worked really well for the mat. Uh, they did show some depth. So you actually had some really good cinematography, uh, the cinematography of having both of the, the, um, uh, that that scene walking down the corridor where you have Brent Spiner talking to himself, uh, you know, it's certainly been done before in movies and TV, but it just worked really well, uh, I thought, and really having the illusion. They did camera tricks with the mirrors, and I started to think right. about one in particular. It was actually the first scene with Wesley and Data looking in the mirror and then having the eye lines actually match. I started to think about it and my mind blew up. I, I do not have a positronic brain and able to figure out if you're looking at the camera, but the mirror has to be a different way, but it's supposed to look good for the audience. I know that type of stuff on set can be, you know, once you got it, you got it. But if you're a novice, that type of thing, it can be fucked up super easy. Yeah, it's a nightmare for the camera and lighting people. For the actors, it's easy. You just look at the camera in the mirror. Uh, <laughs> you, you look where they tell you to look, uh, I guess yeah, is it. But, totally. but being the, on but the tech side, certainly. figuring that out, it's super tough. Um, we talked about the, the music a bunch already, but I wanted to give a shout out to the prop maker too. The person who created, and we, and we get some actual real like moments with the props a lot, especially in that laboratory scene where he puts on- Yeah, puts it on his face. On his face. That is such a weird, creepy, but like poignant moment at the same time. And then seeing well, lore in pieces and having that alas poor Yorick moment of looking at himself and, and saying like, it's very important for me to know whether this can be you know, alive and have this thing like those were all, uh, you know, wouldn't have been as well received if they hadn't had as much care in the budget about making those props look mostly good for, for, for yeah. the time. Well, and I mean, it serves story too, because with data, he's, he's searching for his humanity and like, what is a more universal experience than walking into a lab you've never been in before and finding a mold of your own face? <laughs> Like, I remember the first time that happened to me. It's about the most human experience I could imagine. It's like crawling into your own, your mom's womb and just being like, oh, yeah, that's that's my buddy right there. I used to I'm be better looking than this. <laughs> but it was amazing. What about you, Jimmy? What sticks out the most now uh, that you've watched it a couple times again? What sticks out the most for me is watching Brent Spiner chew up the scenery in this episode. And now um, I, I feel like I have a new trajectory and while I'm watching next generation is, is is watching Patrick Stewart and Brent Spiner, who I think are maybe the two kind of uh, the captains of acting in this series and watching where they go from here and what, uh, if I can see if the writers and directors are like, okay, here's our guys. We're, we're going to steer things towards them and how they handle it. Or, or if that's just, they don't do that and the, those guys just pick it up because this really he's risen to the top and it's it's right now it's patrick stewart and brent spiner they're the actors right. everyone else is is great but they're in the chorus and these are the two lead performers yeah i think that's a fair point uh, to this point in the season and and we'll start to get as we explore some of the other characters backstory we'll start to see a little yeah. bit more of that but those are the two that are featured week in and week out how about you kate what are you gonna remember next time you watch this, i'm gonna remember that wesley saves the motherfucking day <laughs> <laughs> again again <laughs> 
That's it. He crushed it. That's it. That's the That's whole it. thing. He crushed it. And, oh, then, yeah. and then I was That's on his tweet. side for about two seconds. <laughs> Seriously, I was like, I why, fucking the, love it. why the fuck are you yelling at this kid? He's done nothing but save your ass. All of a sudden, now he's annoying? He's always been annoying. Why now? Ugh. <laughs> I mean, I'll remember a couple of things from this one. I'll remember data, of course. Everything that you all have said is just some amazing stuff that I hadn't even really considered. My mind is still blown, uh, especially, Greg, by what you were saying was what you interpreted as the kind of meaning behind and the motivation for kind of the whole lore bit. It's really neat. Mm. Um, but what I'm really going to remember is that lore started to fire the laser and some of the laser came out of the laser <laughs> before he was transported and then the laser disappeared. Yes. So I think what we have here is mm -hmm. proof that the transporter operates on the same laws of physics as photos that time travel with Marty and the doc. <laughs> Yeah, don't That's think about brilliant. it. There's yeah. an element of time travel every time you go through that fucking transporter. And who's to say that? It's the only explanation. Whoever developed the transporter wasn't inspired by that ancient movie, Back to the Future. Whoa. Whoa. I mean, Whoa. now that you brought it up, like, it could Whoa. be canon. It could be canon. I love what you're saying. I love what you're saying. We're all agog, just like uh, uh, Data was for an entire, like, what, 45 <laughs> seconds during this episode, where he's like, mouth open. Uh, yeah. Well, and then the very next scene, they had to put Lore into uh, water because he was actually freeze-dried in addition to uh, being taken apart. Yeah, dry Comes ice. In all yeah, these jars ice. and shit. Yeah, it looks so and good. It looks so good having that <laughs> fall out. I was like, you prop people and all of you special effects, uh, right. you know, doing the practicals here. Kudos Take to you. that. Blue Return water so Jedi. it's more visible to the cameras. It's all great. <laughs> Blue flashlights. I, I think this one was fantastic. I'm very happy to have gotten to discuss it with the three of you. I love that during this weird-ass fucking time, we get a few minutes to uh, talk about art and uh, what it's done for us and what we hope it does for everybody else. Um, I love you three. I'm cautiously optimistic on the next several weeks and uh hey thanks for coming to re-engage let's get our pants wet let's get our pants <laughs> wet but the next one is angel one angel one Ooh. we get to see some badass bitches oh that's a rough one i thought it was <laughs> angle one <laughs> that's the onetters Thanks for being with us on the bridge for this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing on our mission with the next episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Instagram and Twitter at Re-Engage, capital T-N-G, to get updates on episode drops and all kinds of fun Star Trek shenanigans. Follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Insta. Eric Gratton, who is me, is at EricFallsDown, that's Eric with a K, on Twitter and Insta. Jimmy G is of course at the Jimmy G on Insta. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Re-Engage is edited and mixed by the amazing Krista Curry at Krista from Glee on Twitter. Krista with a K. And Krista.Curry on Instagram. Logo artwork by MojoJojo underscore 97 on Twitter or Mojo97.com. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thank you for listening. Standing by for the saucer section to re-engage. <laughs> <laughs>